0: So Multiply Lake Norma Second Service, how are we doing today? Everybody feeling good? That's what I'm talking about. I am coming back feeling recharged. Jenna and I have been away for uh, the past couple of weeks. We were able to go speak at a conference in, in South Africa, and then we were able to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. So we, well, I guess we celebrated the trip. Our anniversary is not till July, but we did our 10-year anniversary trip this past week, and, and man, it was absolutely Phenomenal. So thank you for allowing us to to take that trip. One quick announcement before we get started. Hey, just in case you didn't know this or not, but Father's Day is next weekend. Make some noise for Father's Day. excited! Hey, we're going to do the same thing that we did with all the ladies on Mother's Day. We're going to celebrate every guy in the room. So maybe you're a dad, maybe you're not a dad. Make sure you get here this coming Sunday so that we can celebrate everyone in the room. So today I'm just going to dive right in. I'm coming back with a little vengeance today. I'm coming back recharged and ready to go. So I'm just going to jump right in today. We've been in our series. Pastor Judah did a phenomenal job last week um, preaching or kicking off our series through the book of Romans. And Pastor Manny, two weeks ago, did a phenomenal job at closing our last series. And and today we're diving into Romans chapter 2. Again, today is going to be a little different. There's not going to be a ton of illustrations. There's not going to be a ton of stories. I'm not going to have some cool music videos on the screen. I'm not going to have clips from a movie. But before we get rocking and rolling, I I need to give you a little refresher and lay some groundwork for Romans chapter 1. One of my most favorite verses in reading the book of Romans in its entirety is Romans 1 verse 16. And it reads like this. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. If you haven't noticed, the the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome wasn't a letter for the faint of heart. It wasn't a letter that was written to scratch your back, to massage your shoulders. It wasn't a letter to make you feel good about yourself. But it was a letter that was a call to action. Again, at the beginning of our trip, many of you know that I had the opportunity to speak at a conference called the Urban Tribe Conference, and and it was a little over two weeks ago, and it absolutely wrecked me. It absolutely wrecked me. I watched teams from churches fly in across the continent from many different countries, and, and teams that were coming from countries where Christianity wasn't the national religion. Teams that were flying in from countries that the government literally wouldn't give missionaries visas if they said they were there to be a part of a church or to plan a church. There were teams that were coming from countries who do not have the same liberties and freedoms that we do here in America. I'll tell you about one of the teams. I can't mention the country. uh, But uh, they were traveling in from a closed country. In this country, they were sitting in their hotel room. It was about 2 a.m. They were supposed to fly out to South Africa the next day. About 2 a.m., mortars started going off. Bombs started going off outside of their hotel room. And over the next couple of days, they gathered together with two or three missionary families and they had to hide out in a safe house. And and quite literally, there was a, we'll call it like a black ops mission where where the military had to go in to rescue these three families to take them to another country in Africa. By by the way, we support them as missionaries and we'll be planting an underground church in that closed country in the next year. That's what our church is a part of. It's not just about coming here on a Sunday morning and and playing church in Lake Norman. No, we have a global impact. I I told you, I'm I'm coming back with a vengeance, and and I'm kind of just diving in today. And and I I looked over at Randy Freeman. Randy's a pastor in South Africa. He he oversees urban tribes. And and you'll hear a lot more about urban tribes in the next few months as we kind of roll some stuff out here at the church. But, But in short... Urban Tribes is an organization within our denomination whose goal is to plant churches in gateway cities across Africa. What does that look like? It's major cities across the entire continent. Currently, there's uh, seven different locations. Uh, there's one in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. There w- there's one in Nairobi, Kenya. There's one in Durban, South Africa. A- and you'll hear, I'll give you the teaser, uh, but there's going to be a family that's with us it, uh, in the month of July. And we're actually planting a church. Multiply Church is planting a church in Venhuk, Namibia uh, at the end of this year. Well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, you can clap. Thank you for some... But I say that because we're a part of a global movement. It's not just about what's going on here at home. It's about the impact that we have across the globe. And and I was at this Urban Tribes Conference, and it was day two. I think it was the evening session. We were in worship, and And I looked over at Randy, who oversees all of urban tribes. He's the lead pastor to the church in in Durban, South Africa. And and I kind of tapped him on his arm, and I I said, Randy, I'm just looking around. People just worship differently in Africa. And without skipping a beat, he looked me dead in my eyes, and he says, it's because we're desperate. We know that if God doesn't move, there's no hope for the countries that we're trying to reach. And it wasn't just what he said that caught my attention. It was how he said it. He looked at me. He said it with a smile on his face, Sam. And as soon as he finished saying it, he turned back and started worshiping again. That was the posture of his heart. Zach, we're desperate. And we know that if God doesn't move, then then there's no hope for our countries. Why, Why did he say that in the tone that? He said it, and how, how, how could he say that? Randy, like, a couple years ago, your family was in the middle of a war in South Africa, and, and, and I'm having this conversation in my head because I know his story, and I'm like, Randy, how could you say that? Like, how could you say it with that type of posture? How could you say it with that type of hope? How could you say it with a smile on your face? How could you say it with your hands lifted high? Well, you have to go back to Romans chapter 1, 16, because I really believe that's the answer, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. He wasn't ashamed. Why? Because it has the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Zach, we're desperate. But we know we have hope in Jesus. We know we have hope in the gospel message. I can't be ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to bring salvation. Whatever goes on around us should not cause us to waver back and forth. We can't be all in for the gospel in one moment and then tuck our tail and hide in the next moment. So if I'm not ashamed of the gospel, then then we have to use the platforms that we've been given to preach the gospel message and to speak out against things that are opposed to the word of God. So so if I'm going to stand up, I have to speak out against things that are going on in organizations like Target. Target literally had female-style bathing suits with tuck-friendly options for males. Why do I have to speak out against it? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I said this in first service, so I'll say it again. If your kid is in here during this service, just know that I'm preaching to this room as if we're talking to adults in the room. So if this isn't the right setting for your kids to be in, we have kids' church. Now, if you're okay with having these conversations in your house, then, then this is the type of stuff we're going to talk about on a Sunday morning. Why? Because we have to start being adults. The problem with churches is we've been spoon-feeding adults as if they're 8-, 10-, and 12-year-olds. No, we have to be able to chew on the meat. We have to be able to look at what the Bible says about our culture and our society. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If I'm not ashamed of the gospel, then I have to speak out against companies like Budweiser. And you look at what they've done with Bud Light. They have a male who is dressing like a female and who is their spokesperson. Why do we speak out against it? Because we're not ashamed of the gospel. I have to speak out against organizations like Ford who had a commercial that the truck ran through the mud and, and, and the mud washed off the truck and on the front was a pride flag, a gay pride flag. Why do I speak out against That's why you shouldn't drive a Ford anyway. Chevys are better, all right? Man. But, but it's, it's the truth. I mean, if I'm going to talk about Ford, then I have to talk about the L.A. Dodgers. You should be a Braves fan, not a Dodgers fan. I don't know if you realize what happened in L.A. But one of their pregame shows, the L.A. Dodgers allowed an organization to come in. In this organization, there are a bunch of men who dress up like women. Not only do they dress up like women, they actually dress up as if they're nuns. And what did they do? They, They hung an individual. They hung another male and kind of tied his arms to a cross. And then those men who were dressed up like nuns pole danced on the cross. They did this for a pregame show for the Dodgers. Why do we mention this? Why do we talk about it? Because we're not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you feel a little uneasy. I hope you feel a little uncomfortable. It should make you uncomfortable. If you're sitting in your chair and you're okay with this, then I would say you probably should question your relationship with Jesus. It should probably make us feel a little uneasy. If you go to a church, I said this, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you go to a church and you agree with every single thing the pastor says and the pastor never makes you uncomfortable, you're not part of a church, you're part of a cult. I mean, you chuckle, like it's it's funny, but it's the truth. My goal, my job, I have one job. God has called me to preach the fullness of the gospel. And if I'm going to preach the fullness of the gospel, then I have to reference Romans 16. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of what it says. So we'll keep going. We'll keep going. Uh, so if we're not ashamed, we got to speak out against school districts and, and government officials. In it. And it seems like the world is getting worse and worse. Has anybody else felt like, the, like it seems like the world is getting worse? Can I let you know that it's not? Can I let you know that God's still in control? That he's still king and he's still on his throne. There's nothing new under the sun. We learned that from the book of Ecclesiastes, but we also learned that from Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 25 through 30. And I know Pastor Judah referenced some of this last week, but let me, let me kind of lay some groundwork. Verse 25, they exchanged truth about God for a lie. Nothing new under the sun. We, we can correlate this to the 21st century church. They exchanged truth about God for a lie. We'll keep going and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So they didn't think it was, they didn't think it was important to memorize Scripture. They didn't think it was important to, to let it live in, in their minds and in their hearts. So furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so they, they didn't retain it, so God gave them over to their depraved minds so that they do what ought not to be done. They are gossips and slanderers and God-haters and insolent and arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. If you listen to Paul's words, it's like he's talking to the 21st century church and in the, in the 21st century culture. They invent ways of doing evil. People invented ways of doing evil. They're still inventing ways of doing evil. They're dressing up as nuns and pole dancing on crosses. They're inventing ways of doing evil, but we have to stand against it. Why? Because we're not ashamed of the gospel. Go back to my conversation with Randy. Randy, people in Africa, man, they just worship a little differently. Yeah, Zach, it's because we're desperate. We're desperate for a move of God because without a move of God, there is no hope. I hear a lot of churches and a lot of pastors say, we just need God to show up in in our homes, We just need God to show up in our communities. We need God to show up in Lake Norman. We need God to show up in North Carolina. We need God to show up in the United States of America. Can I remind us that we're not waiting for God to show up? We're waiting for people inside the church to stand up and to speak up. That's what we're waiting for. We're not waiting for God to show up anywhere. He's already there. He's waiting for us to speak up and to show up. (laughs) I almost said, do you remember what I said I had in my notes, my original notes? Um, I'm not going to say it. I'll say it this way. I had something written in my notes, and I, and I erased it. Um, not because I'm ashamed to say it, but I'll say it this way. I'll say it differently. It's time for the church to get a backbone. It's time for a church to get a backbone. Why? Because we're not ashamed of the gospel. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, then you'll have a backbone. You'll stand up. You know, speak up. I told you I was, I was coming back with a vengeance, and we, we, we said this in our last series, that a unified front is a strong front. And that means we have to stand up and say, not on my watch. If you agree, say amen. amen. All right, it's trapped all of you guys, so I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> Let me be very clear. We can't be a church that just goes on a rampage and says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel without embracing and remembering The salvation part. The the gospel message isn't about telling people their faults. The gospel message is about pointing people towards their salvation. And we're starting to get that confused as the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean our church, but I mean like the global church. By by the way, I was having a conversation with Darren uh, in between first and second service, and and he made this comment that I think will pinpoint a lot of individuals. but, But sometimes when I say things like the church... Individuals feel like they can remove themselves from that conversation. When I say the church, I'm talking about people who say they believe in Jesus. I'm talking about everyone who says they have a relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about everyone who says that they would be considered a God-fearing individual that believes that Jesus is the only way to heaven. When I say the church, that's who I'm talking about. And we as the church, we're, we're, doing, we're doing an okay job right now. You see it on social media. You see it all around. People want to stand for injustice. They want to stand for, for, for the, the gospel and for the kingdom, and that's good. But we're not there to, to pick a fight, to, to win that battle. We're there to point them to Jesus. It's not just about speaking up or speaking out. It's about talking through the salvation message. I want to go to war just as much as the next Christ follower, but I want to go to war to rescue as many lost people from hell as possible. That, that's why we're going to war. All right, I need everybody to do a little exercise with me. Breathe in the nose. Whew, out of the mouth. All right, do one more time. In the nose. Out of the big, big, deep breath. We're all on the same page, right? We're all going in the same direction, right? You know I love you, right? So I'm preaching this way. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Anybody anybody say that when they spank their kids? (laughs) Remember, this isn't my message. It's God's message, and I refuse to apologize for the Bible. I've heard a lot of pastors, and I I watch a lot of pastors throughout the week and listen to a bunch of different sermons, and I've seen this thread of commonality over the past several months, but I've heard pastors say something along the lines of, if I would have written it differently, I would have. There are people literally standing in churches, on, in pulpits, saying things like, I, I didn't write it, and they're using it like as a scapegoat. Like, I didn't write it, so don't blame me. When I say I didn't write it, that's not saying don't blame me. I'm just saying, no, I'm just here to herald God's message. But I'm not here to change it. I'm not here to add to it. I'm not here to take away from it. When we, when we say things in our culture and in our society, like, I didn't write it, I'm just preaching what God has told me to preach. What we actually have is the spirit of Absalom. And if you remember back to King David and his son Absalom, any time that King David, he tried to overthrow his dad. And any time King David would write something or decree something to the community or to the whole, Absalom would go to the city square and he would stand up and go, I don't agree with what my dad wrote. I would write something different. And that's the way that we act in our churches if we say, I didn't write it we're trying to do, overthrow the kingdom of heaven because you don't agree with it You using it as a scapegoat because you don't agree with it we will not be a church we will not be a body that adds anything to the bible or takes anything away from the bible in fact we won't even apologize for it we're just going to preach the word of god why because i'm not ashamed of the gospel why am i not ashamed because it has the power to bring salvation if we stop watering down the Bible, maybe people will be drawn to Jesus. I, I, I didn't say this in first service, but I'll say it, this is just something that kind of came to my head—an illustration that came to my head. It's kind of like when my daughter figured out we added water to her orange juice, and she didn't want to drink the orange juice anymore. She would take a sip. She goes, "You added water to this." Put it on the counter. I don't want this. I want the real thing. I I wonder if that's what non-believers are feeling. You just water it down. I don't want that nonsense. It's not the real thing. Don't make excuses. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. It's all or nothing. And, And church, we will choose all. As your pastor, I'm choosing all. Now, before we go any further, let me tell you, like, I love you, all right? You know I love you, Right? Again, I'm doing this, it hurts me more than it hurts you. Thank you, I see see that hand. I grab your heart when I say I love you. Let me give you some history. When Paul starts writing to the church in Rome, you can almost hear and feel this pious response from the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because in chapter 1, Paul is writing to the Gentiles. If this letter were written to the 21st century church, chapter 1 is written to everyone outside of the church. Chapter 1 is written to anyone that doesn't go to church on a Sunday morning, anyone that doesn't agree with with the scriptures, anyone that doesn't agree with with what's going on inside the church. But because in chapter 1 Paul's writing to the Gentiles, the religious leaders start reading chapter 1, and you can almost see their heads lifted high, their shoulders rolled back, their chests are puffed up as in like about time somebody pointed the finger at them. About time, someone pointed the finger to people outside of the church, and they're starting to feel really good about themselves. But then we get to chapter 2. In chapter 2, the religious leaders quickly realize that they're no better than the Gentiles. So Paul starts writing to people who follow the law in chapter 2. Paul starts writing to the individuals that say they believed in God, and he starts off by writing this in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, for at whatever point you judge another... You're also condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's a tough pill to swallow. Put it in the context of the 21st century church. I'll put it in my context as if Paul was writing this letter to me and I'm the first person that read it because I would feel really good about reading chapter one. And then when Zach gets to chapter two, I'm going to go, Paul, what are you talking about? I'm not as bad as them. I'm not having sexual relationships with a man. No, Zach, but you had sex before marriage and you knew that it was the wrong thing to do when you were in college. Well, well Paul, like, listen, I don't, I don't beat my wife and there's some people that beat their wife and they get in physical altercations. No, Zach, but you have really sharp and harsh words sometimes. Paul, I, Paul, I'm not, listen, Paul, I'm not like all these people that, that are running around and, and cussing out someone when they make them mad. No, but, but you give someone really mean eyes as soon as they bump into you on an airplane, even if she's 87 years old. <laughs> like, we want to remove ourselves. Paul, I'm not like them. Paul starts writing in chapter 2, no, but... But you're just as bad. If if the book of Romans were written today, chapter 1, it might have been written to the L.A. Dodgers. It might have been written to Ford and to Target and to school districts. But chapter 2 was written to everyone inside the church. When you keep reading, verse 3 through 5 kind of punches you in the nose and makes your eyes water as a Christ follower. And it reads like this. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, so you think you will escape God's judgment? Question mark? You think you can pass judgment on them and then escape the wrath of God? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The kindness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God isn't there so we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want to. The kindness, mercy, and forgiveness of God is there, so we'll realize our sin and our depravity and point us to forgiveness. Because forgiveness leads to salvation. Salvation leads to eternity in heaven. How are we responding? What does this all mean? It means in our society we have confused repentance and acceptance. God isn't calling us to accept people without leading them to repentance, but we can't lead them to repentance if we don't understand our own sin and our own depravity. Big deep breath, one more time. Can I remind us that everyone in the room is a sinner? It's like Sinners Anonymous. (laughs) Those of y'all who laugh, I know what rooms you've been in. Hey, my name's Zach. I'm getting my day one chip. By the way, if it's Sinners Anonymous, every day is your day one chip. You don't don't get to graduate to a a one-year chip. You don't graduate to a 10-year chip. You pick up day one each and every day. Hi, my name's Zach. Hi, Zach. Can I get my day one chip? Some of y'all aren't going to get that analogy, that story, that metaphor. Some of you, like, you're holding on to that one. It's It's your day one chip. Jessica, I'm a sinner. Sam, I'm... Pastor Zach, this guy, sinner, like big time. I appreciate that. (laughs) I thought y'all were just going to let me say I'm a sinner. They they eventually go, me too, like they pointed at themselves. But we're we're all sinners. We all have brokenness. We all have shortcomings. We all have sin. So as a church, as a community, as a body, we have to stop acting like we're not. We don't have to have it put together all the time. You hear me say this phrase a lot, but it's appropriate vulnerability. You've gone through seasons and situations in your life that in the right time, you're going to be able to use those to share with others to help them overcome their brokenness, to help them overcome their sin, to help them overcome any situation that life might throw them. As you keep reading throughout Romans, you get to Romans chapter 2, verse 24. Verse 24. And it reads like this, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 21st century context, Ford, Target, Budweiser, school districts, the government, the path that society, the response that culture has to the kingdom of heaven. That's on us. Again, chapter 2, written to everyone inside the church. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If I was reading that in my context, people are acting the way they are, Zach, because of you, because of the way you live your life sometimes. We've all allowed it to happen. There's a a book that I just picked up while I was traveling. It's called Letter to the American Church by Eric Metaxas. Some of you guys saw that I posted it on social media. If you haven't heard about the book, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to pick it up. I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's very challenging, very eye-opening. But he correlates the present-day American church to the German church in the 1930s. Let me tell you what happened to the German church in the 1930s. They stopped leading. They stopped being involved in politics. They silenced their voice because they didn't want to offend anyone. A lot of journal entries, a lot of articles that were written. They were okay with the status quo because they were allowed to do church. They just didn't want to offend anyone in government. They kept to themselves, and again, they kept to that status quo. But what else happened in Germany in the 1930s? Someone came to power. His name was Adolf Hitler. Some of y'all didn't do too good in history class, but you remember the name. So if we look at at Hitler, we fast forward to the 40s because the church stayed silent. Millions upon millions of Jews were murdered because individuals inside the church didn't use their voice, didn't use their influence, didn't use their platform. One of the the correlations that that Metaxas writes about, he said that at the time, he also wrote the, the biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the time, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put together this list and and he wanted pastors to sign it. And at the time there was about 18,000 pastors in in Germany. And this petition that he put together only 3,000 pastors signed the petition out of fear of their life. The other ones didn't out of fear of their life. Now uh, that that petition said, hey we actually don't agree with what Hitler's saying. We, We don't agree with what the government is doing. 3,000 pastors signed it. Now, on the other hand, there were 3,000 pastors that said, we agree with Hitler. We agree with what he's saying. We agree with what he's doing. And they made their own petition. 6,000 people. There were 18,000 pastors. There were 12,000 pastors that remained silent. It's it's one of those things where it's like, well, man, shame, shame on them. But how many of our churches in America are remaining silent? Yeah. Zach, that's a stretch. You can't, you can't really correlate the church in Germany in, in the 1930s, and you can't you can't correlate the Holocaust to the 21st century church in, in, in 2023. That, that, that's a stretch. It, is it though? Go back and read scripture. Because in the book of Romans, the church remains silent and the Bible tells us that people were given over to their evil desires. In Germany in the 1930s, the church remained silent and people were giving over, given over to their evil desires. If the church remained silent, God-fearing Christians, individuals that believe that Jesus hung on the cross, was buried in the grave, rose three days later and is coming back, that's who I'm talking to when I'm talking about the church. If the church remains silent, then people will be given over to their evil desires. Go back to my conversation with Randy. Randy, how are people, why are people worshiping so different in Africa? It's because we're desperate. Hopefully you can hear it in my voice. I'm not putting on a show. Your pastor is desperate. I'm desperate because people are actively choosing to not follow Jesus. It breaks my stinking heart. I'm desperate because people are walking away from their faith. I'm, I'm desperate because there are people who are broken and need help. I'm desperate because there are people literally, not figuratively, literally on their way to hell. I'm desperate. I refuse to stay silent. Again, it's all or nothing, and I'm choosing all. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, I'll kind of paraphrase it a bit. He says something like this, look, it's not about what you say, it's about what you do. At this church, we say it this way, don't talk about it, be about it. And then he continues to say it was never about the outward appearance, but it was about the transformation of your heart. It starts with the transformation of your heart. It starts with the transformation of your mind. It starts with the transformation of your soul. I'll tell you a little secret. Every, every time I, I speak, every time I, I get on a stage, I have a, a short prayer that I pray, and I pray this. I pray, God, transfer my heart, transform my mind, and transfer my soul that I would be your vessel and your mouthpiece. Empty me of me and fill me with you. That's my prayer for our church, is that we would empty ourselves of our self, and we would be filled with Jesus, that we might be able to overflow to our communities, to our families, to the areas where we have influence. So again, we're a church that say we pray first. The first thing that I want us to pray for as we step back into worship, the first thing is I want to pray for repentance. God, forget. Forgive me, forgive Zach for any place that I've fallen short. Forgive me when I've I've stood on the sideline as opposed to getting in the game. Forgive me of having fear. Forgive me of my failure. Forgive me of where I feel like I've fallen short. Forgive me, God. I don't want to be on the sideline. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The second thing I want us to pray for is, God, I want to pray to be bold. I refuse to be like the church in Germany in the 1930s. If I have a platform, I'm going to use it to proclaim the goodness of God. Why? Because I'm desperate. But I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that gospel message brings salvation. Zach, you preach about salvation every single week. Yo, that's the only message I got. It's the only message of the Bible. that's what we're that's what we're gonna talk about the third thing that I want us to pray for is God I want us I want our hearts to be changed because if God doesn't show up in our country there's no hope but God's still king he's still in control and he's still on his throne so all across this room as we begin to stand I want us to stop playing church it's all or nothing it's your whole heart or nothing at all it's your whole life or nothing at all I cannot and will not share you with anyone or anything else. And the original Latin, it's solus Christus, it's Christ alone. So as we begin to pray, God, we just want to say you can have you can have our businesses. God, you can have our ambitions, you can have our dreams, you can have our desires, God, you can have our future, you can have our families, you can have our marriages, you can have our finances. Why? Because it's truly all yours. It's Truly Christ alone.